My name is Jordan Ross, and thanks for listening to What's Your Limp? I'm an actor and the host of this podcast, but I also happen to have cerebral palsy and scoliosis, resulting in a limp. That limp led to vicious bullying in high school, limited opportunities as an actor, a number of insecurities, and severe depression. However, over time I slowly learned to open up about my feelings, which showed me that I'm not alone, because the more I opened up, the more others opened up to me. I quickly learned that everyone has a limp, whether it's physical or internal. I stopped seeing my limp as a weakness and began to see it as an asset. And that's the goal of this podcast, is to help others do the same. So, as you listen to my conversations with some of your favorite actors, athletes, singers, and public figures, listen closely. Because you might just find out that some of them struggle with the exact same limp as you. So let's all learn to love our limps together. What is up, my fellow limpers? This is your host, Jordan Ross, and thank you for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. Now, today I am so excited to be chatting with a longtime friend of mine, Graham Patrick Martin, who is a fantastic actor. You might know him from Major Crimes, Two and a Half Men, The Bill Ingvall Show, uh, George Clooney's Hulu limited series, Catch-22, and a bunch of other really good stuff. Um, we worked together on a film called Rising Stars, which we'll talk a, a bit about in the episode. Uh, and it was, I, I think it might have been, it was one of my first movies. It wasn't the very first, but it was one of my my first films that I did. Um, and that was about 14 years ago. And we've we've stayed in touch since. Uh, we just really hit it off. And and uh, I'm I'm grateful to call him a friend. Uh, and I have been, you know, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to watch his career, um, you know, flourish over this this past decade and a half. Um, and I can't wait for you to to get to know Graham a bit as well. Um, in this episode, we talk a lot about, you know, both of our journeys as an actor. Um, and even when, you know, someone is able to string together enough projects in a row to make a, a decent living out of this this um, line of work there are still a lot of of doubts and struggles and and um you know second guessing yourself and your choices and we dig into all of that in this episode um so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with my friend Graham Patrick Martin Jordan What's Ross. up, buddy? Hold on one second. There I am go. I'm I'm the most like technologically challenged millennial <laughs> on the planet. Good, You're good. Dude, look at you, man. How are man, you? Good. It's uh it's been a minute. It has been. It has been. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. I'm in LA still. Um living in West Hollywood, but nice. count down the days till I could go back to Louisiana. Are you wanting to move back there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's the goal always, man. I, I always say I'm work I'm working so that I could go back home eventually. I just yeah. love it too much. Yeah, I mean, well, and now it's it's not as uh, necessary to be in LA as it was, you know, a few years ago. So it's uh, it makes it easier to work from from all over. Totally, man. Yeah, you can live anywhere. It's a different industry now. Yeah, it's weird too because, like, I when I was living in LA. Um, and then met my wife and moved back to Texas, I kept feeling like I kept feeling like FOMO and like wishing that I was out there and feeling like I'm missing all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like all of these things started happening in my backyard, yeah. like way more than they were in L.A. for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's the chosen kinda, is in Texas, right? Yeah, it's in a okay. little town called Midlothian, Texas. It's like Midlothian. Yeah, Can you spell that for me. I want to. I want to Google that real quick. Midlothian. M I D L O T H I A N. Um, and it's like forty five minutes uh from Dallas, and yeah, yeah, they built like this massive set and huge sound wow. stage, and like it's it's like their whole first century back lot out there. Um, population 37,000 Midlothian, Texas. I, I've never heard of Midlothian, Texas. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's pretty wow. small, but it's uh, it's starting to build. Oh, up. but it's close. It's close to you, though. Yeah, yeah, it's like within oh, an okay, hour cool. from me. So they, cool. uh, yeah, it's it's. I'm the only like local, so it's it's convenient getting to on my off days be home with with uh, the wife and kids. But yeah, how many man. you got now? Three. That's my limit, three. though. I'm, I'm done at three. Oh yeah. my gosh, man! Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> that is wild. That is yeah. wild, dude. Congratulations. Seven. Thanks, man. They're uh, my oldest. She's seven. Uh, she's Eliana. My middle is Evelyn. She's four. And then our youngest is Audie and he's two. So, uh, yeah. They... Look at you, dude. Look at you, dude. Yeah. Come, come, come a long way since the, uh, the rising stars days. Huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk about that and, uh, how we met and everything, but before yeah. I usually start from like the beginning. So just kind of like walk through what your childhood was like, how you did in school. Did you, you know, we're both like smaller guys. Did you get bullied at yeah. all? um all that good stuff oh man sure um yeah well i was i was born in a town called Thibodeau, louisiana which is about 55 minutes south of new orleans um and it's a it's a beautiful town that i i love a whole lot there's a lot of a lot of really good people there um and uh you know then I, there, there wasn't really much much bullying when I was there. Um, it's small community. I went to a Catholic school called St. Joseph's. Um, everyone was, was really tight knit. Um, it's just a beautiful place. And then I moved to new Orleans, um, the big city when I was, uh, I think in third grade and, you know, it was interesting because my, my father shortly after we moved there, uh, his company that he was working for, went under uh it was a it was a riverboat cruise company uh that had a really generous uh i think refund policy and then 9-11 happened and no one wanted to travel so the company kind of went under and my dad had gotten us into this really great school um in new orleans and what ended up happening is is you know sort of his income went away and he, he still, I don't know how he did. I have to ask him because I, I don't know how he managed to pay for us to continue to go to this school. But then what ended up happening is we kind of became kind of the poor kids at the rich school. And um, yeah, I don't want to talk down on it because there are a lot of great no, people sure. there. I mean, I mean, I love it. But, you know, as kids, you know, you don't really know know much better. And um, yeah, it, there was that sort of dynamic of, of being like the poor kid at the at the rich school. And that and that was always really um tough but out of it you know i i got one of my best friends of all time this kid rashad um because he was the other poor kid at the rich school and we became really really close friends and still are to this day um but you know i i, I just i think about that and and it's it's a beautiful story to me you know it's not like a sad story because i just think of my folks and that's been a constant in my life is is everything that i am today is because of the insane support that me and my siblings have always had from them. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was like, that was like the beginning, the beginning of, of it all. I mean, um, it, it makes a huge difference having that support because my mom, it was the, the same thing where she, I, I always say, explain it this way that like, if I told her today at 32 years old that I no longer wanted to act and I wanted to be an astronaut, within an hour, she would send me like every astronaut school she could find, she would figure out like, whatever she could do to help support that dream, she would be all in. Um, and it's, uh, no matter how like far fetched the dream may may seem to sure. like others. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it makes such a difference, because I'm sure you like have similar experiences. But since we both kind of got started in this business earlier, like at an earlier age, yeah. Um, there we can call it like it is. We were we were child actors. We can yeah. call it like it is. It's not and, you can wear it with a, with honor, <laughs> right? Well, like it's it, there are a lot of other kids that you know you could see that they had you know quote unquote like stage moms or yep. um or parents that weren't involved that that didn't really care or parents that were riding their coattails or whatever. Like it, there were a lot of weird dynamics there. So having um an actual supportive like genuinely supportive and loving parent um throughout all of that like just does wonders yeah man i mean you you we're we're jumping forward in time a little bit but you hit the nail on the head i get i get asked all the time you know i'm 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 
31 now and, and I've been doing this since I was a kid. And, um, I get all, asked all the time, like, you know, how did you end up, uh, normal? And, and I, I always say exactly what you just said is my parents were insanely wildly supportive for me while never being overbearing and pushy. And I always knew as a kid that if I wanted to pull the plug, go home, just go to regular school, uh, my parents would have, would have supported that as well. And I think that's the secret sauce because you said it, you know, we started as kids and I remember coming out to California when I got my first show, uh, when I was 15 and there were these young actor parties and there were just hundreds of kids that would pile in it. You know, whoever had a free house, whoever's parents were gone, or whoever's <laughs> parents didn't care yeah. pile in. And there were just so many kids. And I, I always remember, I don't even know whose house this was or whatever. But I have this specific image of being at a party. And just seeing hundreds of them, all young actors, and none of them are doing it anymore. And I think that that a lot of that, all of it has to do with with the specific support that these kids had at the time. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky, man. My folks, my folks were so cool. Like my, my I used to, so I, I started my first six years of my career were all multi-camera sitcoms. And my dad had to work in Louisiana and he would fly up every Friday night to come out to the live taping of wow. whatever show I was doing at the time. And he would cut like, as if it was like a football game, you know, he, so he would, he would, he would come out, see it, stay the weekend and then fly back to work uh, either Sunday night or Monday. So, That's so cool, great man. folks, man. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I relate so much to the, you know, like that feeling of being at one of those teen actor Hollywood parties because I, I sure. started going out there when I was like, you know, 13, 14, um, doing like these actor summer boot camps. And then uh we would do showcases for agents and uh we yeah, it was fun. Like it I it was the most fun that I I had had up to that point. And um but there were so many times like you'd go into those parties and you see someone like at the time is like more successful than you or doing something yeah. that you wish you were doing. And like, you're constantly comparing yourself and beating yourself up and trying to fit, like deal with imposter syndrome. Um, and then a few years pass. And like you said, like so many of them aren't doing it anymore. And, yeah. um, or like careers go up and down. You see that within like, you know, our own careers and with friend within friends careers. Sure. And it's, uh, it's it makes it as you like you really have to just kind of experience it because you don't you they can teach you about that stuff in acting class but you don't fully understand it until you've right. paid your dues and gone through all of it um yeah dude and I, I have a lot of i have a lot of sympathy for those those kids that you're talking about who when we were younger they were on kind of like the cool yeah. like the cool shows or whatever because i don't i don't know how i would have handled that level of notoriety at that age you know i was a really anxious kid yeah and um i remember at the time really wanting you know a show that was like massive or a show that was like really relevant and right you know i while i was i was really steadily working i i wasn't on like a show that was like really hot with like young people i was on you know a family sitcom and then i was on two and a half men which is pretty popular in its later years and then um i was on a cop show forever that only old people watched and uh, <laughs> and i I remember having that desire, you know, for what, what they had and, um, God, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they handle it. I don't know how they handle it. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a weird thing. I, I had, uh, so two of my friends from those groups back then were, uh, Nathan Cress and Jennifer Stone and for both sure. of them, you know, were it was uh, iCarly and Wizards of Waverly Place, and they're both like super normal now, but it's kind of uh, not the norm. So we talked a lot about that kind of stuff when I had them on the podcast because it's uh, it's a weird business for kids. But the the most common, like the common denominator in the kids that that come out on the other side as you know healthy, happy adults yeah. are the ones that typically have the really strong support systems. Dude, I think Nathan is is a really interesting example of that. So I don't I I I don't know Nathan super well, but what I can tell you is in my interactions with him, I remember as a kid, I went and did an episode of a show and how how sort of seemingly stable he was. And he 
was actually, he doesn't even know this, but he was a real comforting force for me because I, I was on this, this sitcom that I did called the Bill Langball show for, for three years. And then I Carly was like the first job I did outside of that. And I remember being so nervous because again, you know, I told you, I, I just was so like these kids who had these popular shows, it was just sort of a whole different animal to me. Yeah. Um, and I remember being on set for rehearsal and literally shaking. Like I'm sitting there and and the cast is, I didn't even watch the show I, I, at all, but I was like, oh my God, this is a big deal. And I was like shaking. And I remember Nathan sort of coming up to me and like having lunch with me and and he sort of really calmed the whole thing. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that, um, that he's, he's sort of one of those, one of those lucky ones, like you were, yeah. like you were saying. Yeah. Well, he, he was always a really like cool kid. It, we, we were in acting classes together and mm. just one, like as an actor, it was so effortless to him. Like he was the one that would get up in class and just blow the teacher and everyone else away. And no one wanted to follow him. Um, mm because he was just so good but then also like he he was just even after getting iCarly he remained so humble because th then there's also the stories of the people that you know get that big show and then they totally change which it's understandable especially at that age because you all of a sudden have this money and notoriety and people coming up to you and these you're getting to experience all these really cool things um and it's uh hard to stay grounded when you don't have that uh you know presence in your life to kind of remind you of where you came from uh so it was always apparent that he had that um that he had you know some an anchor that that could uh sure. you know remind him of his roots but um sure. i was wondering too for you like so when i i first went to la um around that time like i did we did rising stars and uh I did another, which isn't related at all, but another independent film in Texas called Beyond the Farthest Star within that same year. And then uh, I moved to L.A. and I got like a couple of guest spots on, you know, Nickelodeon and Disney shows and then a few really cool short films and was close to getting some other things. So I felt like some good traction, but then it was just like nothing. And mm. I felt like so low and so bad about myself and about my ability. And I found myself like I, I because I had some stuff happen earlier on, just because I, I kind of like had this natural um, inclination or ability to, to act. I didn't really feel the need to work that hard at it or to work that right. hard at maintaining relationships or like hustling and trying to um, build connections and all of this stuff. So all of you know, my peers were actually working hard at what they're doing and, and maintaining these relationships. And uh, eventually I, I saw that. So I had to now like the difference between how I work now, whether it's on on a set or just at home, like sending emails or whatever is so different from what I did as a teenager. Uh, yeah. Was there like any learning moments or, or, or teaching moments for you as a child actor, as a teen actor that like you now uh, just carry yourself differently any specific things yeah i mean uh, yes yes that's a huge it's a huge massive part of my career is exactly what you're talking about um but part of that also was not necessarily just um kind of a work ethic thing but sort of i had to change my uh relationship with acting i had to find a different type of connection because when you start as a kid there's you know a certain part of it was just liking to perform and something you take an interest in but the the depth of knowledge of you know the art uh is something that i didn't have uh, as a young person and i think what sort of shifted for me is when I I sort of took a moment and, and and realized that oh natural ability only gets you so so far and um I needed a more authentic connection in order to continue what I was trying to do um so so yeah I mean you you hit it on the head I I think a lot of that came sort of after um two and a half men ended um, the first time. And then, uh, 
I went through a bit of a crisis because I wasn't, I wasn't working and I wasn't getting jobs. And I just found this acting teacher that, that scared the daylights out of me. And I went to him and, um, he sort of really exposed me. And then, and then everything changed. I, I, my relationship to the work changed. I, my, I became a fan of the people who were doing what I was trying to do. I wasn't just sort of doing this, just riding the wave like I have since I was a, you know, a kid. And, uh, I think what it all comes down to is authenticity, which is a huge, something that's really important to me is, is, is authenticity. And I needed my connection in the, in that bucket of my life to be more authentic. And then I found it. And then after that, you know, then, you know, I'd only worked on sitcoms as a kid, but then I, I've, I've now since only done drama since that moment because yeah. because my 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 whole relationship uh, completely shifted. Yeah, so. I I kind of had a, a similar thing. Like I was usually like the guest stuff I did on Nickelodeon or like the the little independent films I did. I was always kind of like the goofy sidekick or friend. Um, sure, and uh, that was kind of my thing, and it was also a a bit of like a defense mechanism trying like trying to make people laugh and be funny mm. and you know whether it's I'm on set or in school like it was just my way of trying to distract people from the things that I'm like really insecure about and mm. uh similar to you as I I matured as a person and as an actor and came to terms with all of those things and became more comfortable um leading with those things and being more vulnerable it totally shifted now where it's like all I, I mean, I still enjoy comedy if I have the opportunity, but it's like mostly all I want to do is drama. And um, mm. it's been, it's interesting. Like whenever you unlock those, those things in your brain as an actor, and then you feel like you've leveled up kind of like you're, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Up a whole new world of possibilities. Um, like one for me on, on the chosen in the second season, it opens with all of the apostles, like, aged and they're talking about um they're at like one of the apostles funerals and they're they're talking about when they all first met each other and uh mm -hmm. my character in the script it says that like i have to break down mid-sentence and start crying and it was the first time like i had cried in acting classes or even in auditions but um it was my first time on a project where i was like oh i have to sustain this and do it 12 different times for yeah. all the different coverage. And um, <laughs> it was really intimidating because there was this mindset, like I, I love my dad, but he's much more like stern was, didn't fully understand my, my passion for acting. It was like crying as a kid. If I was getting in trouble, it was all like, you know, dry it up or I'll give you something to cry about. Like that kind of thing. I wasn't supposed sure, to cry. Sure. So I found myself as an actor. There was like this wall up there. Like I, I, felt like I, I was open to being vulnerable, but as soon as it came time to cry, there were so many auditions where I just couldn't like, or, mm -hmm. uh, an acting class. And I was like, am I a bad actor? Like these other Nathan Kress can do it. Like, why can't yeah. I do it? Um, and then finally doing that one scene it, something happened where it was like, just having that support group around me, this cast that I love and felt safe with. And, um, I found a way to connect with the material and it unlocked this thing where now the scenes I've done since then where that, that have been even more emotional, it took away that like pressure that I was putting on myself before. And it's, it's exciting when that kind of stuff happens. Well, whatever you're doing is working, man, because I'm just going <laughs> to talk about you for a second that I went with my father. who is, as you know, and we can talk about it. The biggest fan, if there's anyone watching this, who is a fan of the chosen, I guarantee you my father's a bigger fan than you are. He is, <laughs> he has merch he has everything like he is the biggest fan of the chosen and i think it was over the christmas break or thanksgiving or something he whenever it came out he he was like it's the first two episodes are playing in theaters and he asked me to go with him and i hadn't seen it yet i said yeah i know a guy in that so we went we sat there and your your scene where you're asking why you can't be healed was one of the greatest things i have ever seen in my life man it was it was so moving and, and I don't think I breathed the whole, the whole scene. It was, it was, it was that, um, it was beautiful. It was absolutely so. beautiful. So whatever, man, and, and it makes me proud, dude, like just thinking about, you know, the movie we met on and, and yeah. how far you've come. And, and, you know, that was, 
over 10 years ago. And, and, and not only are you still doing it, but you're doing it at, at such an incredibly deep level. Uh, well, it was, man. it was, it was inspiring for me to see, man. It was really inspiring for me to see. That means a lot. And like, I, I always, um, had such a respect for you as an actor and as a, a person. And I remember doing rising stars together. That was my first <laughs> feature. Um, and it, you know, it, it was a, like a little tiny low budget thing. That's like, you know, it was in the dollar bin at Walmart or whatever. Um, yeah. and, uh, but it was fun. It's like, we all had fun shooting it. Um, sure. we made some good friends, like we met each other doing it, but mm -hmm. that and beyond the farthest star were both like my grandpa was in both of those. So I got auditions for both of those films because he was in them. Um, sure. so it was a long time before, like the chosen was really kind of the thing. And since then other things have happened, but, uh, the chosen was the thing that like was just mine that I felt like, yeah. okay, this isn't because of my grandpa. Like I got this on my own merit. Um, and it made a, a big, like it, it was a, a nice confidence boost. Um, but I'm wondering like for you since, cause you had been at that point had already done the billing vol show and, um, had done some other things. So I remember like looking to you as, uh, like, I want to be doing that. I want to be mm. working that consistently. And then I moved to LA and I'm like, waiting tables at Bubba Gump and we'd watch football <laughs> yeah, games. Right. <laughs> was, I remember uh, that. I remember that, going I, to see you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I loved my, my time there, but I'd come over and we'd watch football games at your place. And like, yeah. um, it was so much fun, but then I, it was one of those things where it's like, you're, I was comparing myself to like mm. y'all and like all of my friends and, and feeling, um, you know, like, why am I not getting these opportunities? Am I like, am I making a mistake and all of these things? Um, but now looking back, I'm like, I, I, cause at the same time, I was still so thrilled for you that all of these things were happening, but it's just like, you, you can't help, but like beat yourself up in the process. Of course, man. Um, yeah. and, uh, but like we said, it's like, once you kind of ride the wave and see it through, um, inevitably something is going to break through one of the things is it, like one of the projects you do will help uh help you take that next step or whatever it becomes much easier in hindsight to look back and and be like oh no like that there was it was all just like part of the process it's so like you don't need to compare your journey to anyone else's um of course but uh oh that's what i was gonna ask so now that i'm on the chosen it's the first time um, I've been a, a series regular on something and we yeah. are starting season four in March and like, we've got seven seasons, but, uh, so there's like, for the first time I have some stability and some, uh, like security and also just getting to go back and playing the same character is exciting. But one thing I wasn't prepared for is the, I guess, balance of like being the grateful. taxes, the taxes, paying the taxes. That's what you weren't prepared for. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. all, you're making all this money now. You weren't, prepared where is taxes. it going? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. um, Sorry. Continue. No, that is, that is one part, but also <laughs> um, balancing, like being grateful and enjoying the moment and like just realizing how lucky we are to be doing what we're doing. And then also the anxiety of like, okay, this is going to end though. And I have to like plan ahead and I have to, you know, figure out like what seeds I can plant that can, by the time the chosen's done, I can, you know, go reap those, those uh, seeds that I, I sowed. So sure. I, uh, was that something you ever wrestled with while doing like uh, major crimes or anything like that? Yeah, man. I mean, I was always, uh, damn, uh, it, on, on major crimes, I was, I was always worried about the after. Um, I, yeah. I, 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 specifically on major crimes because it was such a long job. It was like my whole twenties. Um, and I was, I was always to tie into the first thing you were saying, like, you know, my friends are going to Sundance, you know, my friends are on these other, you know, flashy projects doing these cool movies. And, and, uh, you know, to a certain extent, it was like, the, they call it, you know, the golden handcuffs where, where, you, you know, you're so lucky to have a gig, but you just sort of want to be doing other things. And I felt that so much during my twenties. And, um, then I think, you know, COVID happening and, um, there was a pan, I don't know if you know, there was a pandemic that happened. It was, oh, it was yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah it, was, it, was, it was a blip on the news. Um, yeah. but, but that happened and it sort of put everything to a halt sort of right when I was freeing up, 
to to sort of finally be able to go out and do all these things I want to do. Um, and that sort of absence of work possibility really, really put things into perspective for me and and made me look back on my time at major crimes and 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 sort of go, you know, wow, I was really lucky, you know, and 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 I think that now I always have that opinion when I work. I go, I I I just constantly am 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 grateful to be um on on the jobs that I'm on, uh simply because, you know, it, it it's 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 just it's such a freak industry, man. And I think I think that I now am in a place where where like I choose to sort of make it about the work and not about what I'm receiving because of this and not about like putting the pressure on myself to sort of plot and scheme about what I'm gonna do next because um, it's gotta be about the work, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, we talk a lot about booking jobs and, and, and sort of career stuff. But at the end of the day is what, what's the physical trade it's your, you're bringing a writer's work and a, and a director's vision to life. And I think if you sort of humble yourself and take, take away the sort of expectations around it, then actually the pressure leaves you as well. Um, because then it's not, it's not about what's serving you, but about what you're serving. Um, and I, and I, I'm saying that like, like I'm, I'm, I'm a guru and that I have it all figured out. No, of course not. All of those things come into my head and I'm like, oh, well, uh, you know, what does this mean? Is this going to take me to the next thing? But what grounds me that the, the, the sort of anchor that I, that I put down is that it's like yeah. at the end of the day, this isn't Graham, you know, getting this project this is graham giving to this project and i i think that that's um something that i have i have to do to keep me grounded yeah i mean it, sure. it, it that makes so much sense i think that uh too like when i was just playing these little bit parts in these indies which again I, at the time i was loving it and i i'm especially in hindsight i'm so grateful for all of that um but it's uh I think over time you realize like you, you, I never would have dreamed that like being on the chosen now that we'd be going into our fourth season. And like mm -hmm. you, you never, before you book the thing, you can't imagine that happening. It's just kind of like right. this crazy right. thing. Um, but then once it does, it's easier to like backtrack and be like, Oh, this thing led to this. And then this failure mm -hmm. led to this, which led to this really good thing. Um, and it's, uh, it kind of helps you trust the process a little bit more and just, you know, let go and enjoy it. And also one big thing for me was I didn't feel like up until really this last season of the chosen, um, I didn't feel like I had something to like hang my hat on or, you know, like the, uh, mm. a legacy or something to like leave behind. Sure. So you you want to do something that can move people for ever, you know, long after you're gone, like as an actor, I think it's kind of, something we all want on some level like you you want to do something that can impact people for for generations and uh this scene that the so the writers just for some context the the director the creator of the show Dallas Jenkins um when he hired me he noticed like a little limp but he didn't think much of it but then after he had already written all of season one, but he was like, oh, crap, we have to like address the fact that one of the apostles has a physical disability um, when Jesus is, is like healing all of these other people. So, yeah, uh, it became a challenge for the writers to try to figure out a way to explain it. Um, and it was really scary because every other project I had ever done, Rising Stars, Beyond the Farthest Star, like Nickelodeon stuff, it was all like at the forefront of my mind was don't limp, don't let them see the limp. Um, because I, I had been, uh, like told by casting directors to, to try it without the limp or to tone the limp down. Um, I had been replaced from a national commercial because my limp was too noticeable. Uh, I like oh, all yeah. of these things that were like, it, it made me feel like I, I'm never going to make it as an actor if I have this. Mm. So I have to hide it at all costs. Um, but now on the chosen, it that was like another big thing that freed me as an actor because I don't feel the the need to hide it anymore. Now I lead with it, like when I'm talking to someone or if I'm meeting with a producer or whatever. It's like it, it's that's something I'm I'm proud of because you know in acting class they always tell you 
uh to try to find a thing to like stick out in the audition or to, to right. be the, you know, something that makes you stand out in their memory. Um, but I now realize it's like, Oh yeah, I had one built in already. Um, mm-hmm. I was just because of a few like shitty people, I had this negative association with it. So uh, the scene with Jesus in uh, episode two of season three really right. made me feel like, okay, cool. I've now done the thing that I feel I can be proud of. Like it's, it's something I really connected to. It was the most personal thing I'd ever done as an actor. So now it's like that kind of removed some of the pressure as well of Mm. have to do that thing. I have to like, I hope I do more. I, there's other things I want to do. Um, and, uh, I have plenty of like goals and aspirations still, but now it's like, no matter what, if that was the last time I ever get to act, I'm, happy now like i feel like i've done something to to be proud of um, yeah dude i mean it's one of the best scenes i've ever seen in my life so yeah i mean you could stop acting tomorrow well, thanks, feel like you, you did it man you did not well, only did you do it you did it with jesus well yeah not, right. not many not many people can say that <laughs> yeah well do you so do you have like a moment or a project where you like connected with the material more than any other project before or more than any other character before or something that like once you were done you were like okay i'm especially proud of this one yeah you know you know man i i i think i haven't done anything that close to self um uh i'm 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 still looking for that one um but i i have you know i think that what you're talking about in terms of wanting to be certain things and wanting to find that thing to make you stand out and you finding it within yourself. I think that that's one of the most important lessons that anyone, anyone trying to do this could ever hear. Um, because I think that times when my career has been slow, it's been when my, um, let me put it this way. I think that all you have as fuel for your acting is who you are and what your life is. And I think that the times that have been slowest in my career are times when uh, my life wasn't as full and when perhaps I was like being too focused on my career and and the result and I wasn't focused on living a full life. The greatest successes I've ever had have been when I was actually kind of away from acting and I was sort of, you know, had a lot more going on in my life and was and was just experiencing a lot more. Um, And that's when sort of the greatest the greatest wins have come. Um, and it's about that dude. It's about, it's about, you know, sort of acceptance, you know, self-acceptance, self-love, you know, under understanding that this thing, this is your ammo. And, um, and sort of the more you align yourself with that, I feel like the more, the more success you have, um, in terms of like, you know, a job I can hang my hat on. I mean, I think, you know, I just did the craziest job, ever which is the the miniseries catch 22 where it's so good by the way man thank you buddy i appreciate i remember you texted me when you watched it it was it was it was such a i mean it was it was four months in italy with um george clooney and kyle chandler and it was just like the coolest (laughs) like it's it's almost a joke when i talk about it because i'm like yeah this was kind of the most insane job ever and it was a a blessing and a curse and a blessing because it was such a great experience and a curse because like how can you ever replicate that experience it was me (laughs) and like 10 other actors who were just like the the, we all fell madly in love with each other and ended up being like the coolest thing we shot two months in Sardinia, two months in Rome. Wow. Um, and not only that, the material was amazing. It was written by a guy named Luke Davies who did a uh, candy, uh, beautiful boy. He did that, that, uh, Tom Hanks movie where the news of the world, right. Um, just yeah. a beautiful, beautiful writer. And, uh, so working on great material from like an American classic novel with all of these all-stars, you know, out there in italy and it was it was an absolute dream man but that you know that came out of a drought that came out of a work drought where i was i was really you know desperate to get the next thing major crimes was over and i'm like i need to i need to be in acting class i need to i need to i need to be focused i need to be like watching movies and and then it was when i sort of realized that wasn't working and i sort of stepped back and i went back home to louisiana for to visit and and i started filling up my life with different things and then the job happened you know it's weird it's weird how that happens yeah it's it's so cool like the things we get to experience in this business too it's like how Mm -hmm. 
that what you just described sounds like a dream you would have had one day and been like, oh, that was crazy. I was just in Sardinia. Yeah, dude. George Clooney. Um, I I just did uh or last year. It feels like yesterday, but uh, nine episodes on 1883. And oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's right. Of course. We were doing. Uh, that's how Eric Nelson and I met. Eric and, Nelson, uh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just met actually last week about a project. So uh, because him and I didn't get to actually work together at all. Um, I mean, we, we were on set, but we didn't have any interactions like our characters didn't. So, uh, it, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hear soon, but, yeah. um, we, yeah, working on that, like I, I, any set I'm on, I always have a football with me. Um, and I'm just, I'll stand outside of my trailer and just like toss it in there to myself. And someone wants to... yeah, yeah. Someone, a PA or <laughs> someone's going to be like, Hey, right here. Yeah. So, um, I every time I'm on set, that's what I'm doing. And then Tim McGraw became my football buddy. So like every day after hair and makeup, we just go outside because it doesn't matter if we're sweaty. We're, you know, on the Oregon Trail. So um, we would just go out and like throw the football every day. And then I remember just like a few weeks into it, I kind of had to pinch myself. And I was like, this is this sounds like some crazy dream I would have had that I'm dressed up like an immigrant playing football with Tim McGraw. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just so wild the the stuff that we're <laughs> you know blessed enough to to experience. Um, but I I want to ask. So I always end with one specific question. But before I get to that, um, what projects do you have like that you want to promote? Is there anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, just whatever you want to. Sure, man. Yeah, I got a I, I got this movie that's coming out this year uh, called You Can't Run Forever, and it stars uh, J.K. Simmons. It's directed by a great director named Michelle Schumacher. And, um, so I got that. Oh, oh, I, oh my God. I just did this movie that was, I was obsessed with called the line. Um, and it starts, it's just got like a great ensemble cast of guys. It's like a fraternity hazing, uh, drama, but John Malkovich is in it. And then a bunch of great young actors. Uh, one of my good friends, Lewis Pullman and Alex Wolf and Austin Abrams and that kid, wow. Angus, Angus Cloud, he's on um, that show Euphoria that everyone's obsessed right. with. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a, he's a great actor in this, um, and it's it's such a such a great movie. So that that should be coming out this year wow. too. I saw an early cut. It's really it's really great, dude. I can't wait. That's awesome. Yeah, buddy. Um, okay, so before I let you go, I always end mm-hmm. by asking since we talk about like you know insecurities or things that um, we we've, we've struggled with. I always end by asking, what is the thing you love most about yourself? Oh, God. Jordan, that's the hardest question ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do I love most about myself? Um, I think the thing I love most about myself is where I come from. I think I love my family and I love my city. Um it's what I, I love the most about myself because I think that's everything that I am. Um, yeah. yeah. That's a good answer. I, I like normally I'll end it there, but whenever I have a guest uh, that's someone that I know, I like to say what I love most about the person too, because in real life, we don't do that as often as we should. There's not really as many opportunities to be like, Hey man, I love this about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to take advantage of of this format. Um, but I love that you, like out in LA, after Rising Stars, when I move out there, um, that even in spite of like all of my insecurities and, and um, projections and comparing myself to everyone, uh, every time we hung out, you and all of your other, you know, successful actor friends that we'd be hanging out with, everyone was so um welcoming and and mm-hmm. warm and uh you always made a point to make me feel in- included in the group and uh even yeah. though I'm just waiting tables at Bubba Gump and my which isn't a big <laughs> deal it's like we you know if I if I'm hanging out with someone that's a waiter or you know Tim McGraw I'm still going to treat them the same but when mm-hmm. you're the waiter uh, it means a lot when someone is treating you the same as Tim McGraw. Uh, so that was something that meant a lot to me. And even, I remember specifically, there were a couple of times where, you know, I was broke. I had like just my my tips from the night before where, you know, we'd all go eat or order pizza or whatever. And I wasn't able to like 
chip in. And I, and there were times where you were like, no man, like I got you. It's fine. Like we went to Pinkberry once just kind of on a whim <laughs> and, uh, I didn't have any money. So you got my Pinkberry, like things like that, where it was just, yeah. it was, um, it meant a lot because it made me feel like, uh, there's, there, there are people like I, I have had other experiences in the past where, you know, you, you do feel a little out of place or you feel like you're yeah. not, you don't belong in a group. Um, but you've always been someone that whether it was on set for rising stars or hanging out, watching football games, you're always someone that really it's clear you make an effort to make everyone around you feel included and welcome and loved. And, um, your mom was the same way. I remember like, she was always really Cindy. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> we'd be there, she, you know, always like checked in and asked if we needed anything and was really, yeah. really sweet as well. So, um, yeah, it's clear that, that, you got it from from having that awesome support group but oh my god yeah. dude you're you're the sweetest man i'm so i'm so happy we did this and i think that look i think the the reason we we sort of stayed in touch here and there over the years is just because you're you're such an authentic guy man and and i think i think you and i had the funniest friendship when we first met and I can, um if only i could just put up all all of the text messages i received from you on on this screen. right He's like things that you would send that would just make me sob laughing dude we did this thing where i was like i loved you so much and like you were my best friend but you wanted nothing to do with me like this bit that we would do um (laughs) and i would like comment on your facebook page as this like obsessed you know character as well like it was like fan slash yeah it was like it was it was yeah it was like fan slash like obsessed thing yeah It it made me it, we and we started it while we were on set, I think, and and then it made me sob, man. Yeah. Like I'm telling you, sob, like belly laugh. So, oh my gosh, I know you say you're doing drama and, yeah. and stuff, and that's great, and you're doing well. Obviously, you moved, you moved me in the theater, whatever. Right. I hope to God you get a, a comedy this soon because Thanks, it is so special, dude. It is, it is, it murders me. So I want I, to. <laughs> I would love that. I there's a similar. Um, bit that i do on the chosen with jonathan who plays jesus actually um we in season one we're doing a scene where all of the apostles are following jesus like through this field and um at the end of the scene they just needed like the closing shot of us walking away and uh on one take i just went up and tried to hold his hand and he kind of like pulled away and was like what are you doing and uh then i acted sad so he took my hand and kept walking and that small little moment has evolved into this bit where little James wants Jesus to be his dad, but Jesus can't stand little James. It's like with uh, Michael Scott and Toby, it's that kind of dynamic where Jesus will like, he'll he'll touch the lepers, but he won't touch little James. Like that's how much he hates little James. Um, So it's turned into this thing where little James just desperately wants Jesus to be his, his daddy. Um, That's so funny. Well, I'd like to think, I'd like to think that I had a hand in creating that and sort of like founding that, that sort of tool of yours. The first time um, I held his is, hand, I I imagined it was yours. So, uh, yeah, 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 that's it, man. Well, look, we'll do this again one day, I'm sure. All right, buddy. Yes, I'll see you. I'll see you. I'll see you. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, it's uh, we'll we'll uh stay in touch. Next time I'm in LA, I'm I'm hoping to be out there a little more now that things have like kind of calmed down a bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll get together soon, and uh, absolutely. Um, before you, before you, before. I would love that, dude. Oh yeah. my God, Eric Nelson. Eric Nelson is is the greatest. He's got such a beautiful family as well. Dude, it was so good talking to you. So good talking to you too, man. So so I'm I'm so proud of you and everything you're doing, man. It's so cool. It's dude, so cool. You're the best. You're the best guy and the best actor. You too, man. Let me just Seriously. tell you that needs to be. Can that be your Instagram bio? Best guy, best, best actor. guy, best actor. And it'll be a yeah. quote from you. I'll tag from, you on there. From, from my best my best friend. friend. My best yeah. friend, Grandma. <laughs> yeah that's what i'm doing uh but yeah dude give uh my love to your your parents and uh tell your dad hi again and uh yeah we'll, we'll talk soon all right man all right thanks a lot jordan see you buddy so that was my conversation with graham uh again it was just so great talking to him and uh, catching up for the first time in a while. Uh, we text here and there, but it's it's been a minute since we've 
uh, you know, spoken to each other, like even on the phone, but, but much less face to face. So, uh, it was, it was really nice catching up to him. And I've, I've loved how this podcast has given me an opportunity to reconnect with old friends and, uh, you know, connect with them on an even deeper level that, that maybe, um, we, we didn't have an opportunity, uh, to, do before. So, uh, thank you for allowing me this, this outlet to do that. Uh, and for being interested in, in listening to that as well. Anyway, go follow Graham on social media. You can find him on Instagram at, let me look it up real quick, just so I get it right. Uh, Graham P Martin and, uh, keep up with all of his, his work there. Uh, like he mentioned, he has some really exciting stuff coming up. Um, and I, I can't wait to see his, uh, you know, presumably incredible work in those because he's he's always great. Um, anyway, so now is time for me to talk about next week's guest. So next week, uh, I am talking to someone who who isn't an old friend, but uh, I, I definitely consider a new friend. Uh, this is someone who I've been uh, inspired by for a while and been a fan of his work as a uh, motivational speaker. Um, for years now. And and recently, he made a video with our chosen creator, Dallas Jenkins, uh, for one of our live streams in which he dives into the little James and Jesus scene uh, and gave his thoughts on that. And the reason that was so exciting is because he has, uh, like myself, been a very big advocate and voice for the disabled community uh, and has been a, a huge inspiration to me in that regard as well. I am talking about Nick Vujicic, who uh, is the limbless uh, Australian motivational speaker who I'm sure you've seen because he has spoken in 70 plus countries to tens upon tens of millions of people. Um, and he is just uh, an inspiration in the way that he uses his circumstances uh, to spread love and light and hope. And uh, it's something that I hope uh, I can do as well on just a fraction of the scale that he has done. Uh, so be sure to tune in next week. We talk a lot more about the little James and Jesus scene. Um, we talk a lot about the relationship between faith and healing, which is a super complicated relationship, as you all know. And we talk about Nick's personal story, his childhood, his insecurities and his struggles, and whether or not he would be healed now if he had the opportunity. So do not miss that episode. It is uh, one of my my favorite episodes that I've done yet. Um, it was such an honor. We actually did it in person, which was uh, a little uh, out of the norm for me. Normally, I'm just sitting here as I am now in my closet doing these episodes. So uh, it was fun getting to actually sit in a room with Nick and, and talk to him. So tune in next week to hear Nick. Uh, in the meantime, remember to love your limp, be good to yourselves, give us a follow at the Jordan Ross and at What's Your Limp on social media. Go to YouTube, subscribe to What's Your Limp there to see all of our uh, videos and uh, highlights of of your favorite episodes. And uh, yeah, I will talk to y'all next week. Mm -hmm.